there, how's it going everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This is a podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Really fun episode for <laughs> you guys today. Rocking. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you can't tell by the name of today's episode, Prague, we are Prague. in for some highly technical, really fun, high energy, rocking music today. Yeah. We're focusing Interesting on... Interesting genre here. Yeah, game music um, that evokes the genre of prog progressive rock, rock. Prog yeah the outside for, yeah, genre yeah and you know the video game version of it is always a little bit of its own thing and we experience that in a lot of other episodes right when we're talking about fusion and jazz like sometimes the video game equivalent is a little unique uh this is a long overdue episode you know we've done jazz a long time ago we did funk a long time ago fusion you know quite a bit ago and so yeah it is long overdue to focus on prog today i'm very excited there's a reason why we just named the episode Prague and not, you know, progressive rock in video games. Because I think when you just say Prague, there's a certain cultural there's a connotation, connotation that yeah. comes along with it that's different from what you might literally mean when you say progressive rock in a purist sense. And I think you could say the same to all sort of outside genres that get assimilated into the sound of classic, you know, chiptune video game music because a lot of those mm -hmm. musical elements are assimilated alongside other genres and traditions and just the nature of composing electronic synthesizer-based music. Now, we're going to hear plenty of examples today that are very much trying to recreate or actually, you know, you know, real recordings with guitars and it's like legitimate, a hundred percent progressive rock. Well, isn't your favorite versions examples where it's like on the NES or the super NES where they're trying to recreate the feeling of a prog rock band, like a seventies prog rock band. Um, yeah. I mean, those it, are my favorite examples because it uses a lot of creativity <laughs> in order to do that. I mean, the first thing that I thought of today um, when we were going to do this episode, I was thinking of Konami games for the NES. Oh, I yeah. think out of any particular game developer, I'd say the sound team at Konami across the board drew the largest influence from progressive rock. Other than uh, software creations, right, Will? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, and then, man. of course, we have to talk about uh, the legendary Fallen Brothers, Tim and Jeff Fallen, um, yeah. and particularly Tim, who did a lot of work on his own as well. A very, very um, strong influence from a lot of 70s progressive rock bands in probably the most authentic uh, of any you know game or chip composers of the era at actually recreating the spirit of bands you know, well, like I Jethro Tull. Well, I think it's Tull. worth mentioning for someone who doesn't know um, a little bit on the origins of pr prog rock or progressive rock. So it came out in the mid to late 60s. You started to see some bands that were experimenting with some new sounds, but I would say the peak of it was definitely the early 70s. And basically prog rock is taking a lot of influence from other genres that straight-up rock artists of the 60s never really dabbled in. We're talking about jazz. We're talking about folk. We're talking about classical. So combining that into rock, um, it was a really exciting... And I think for the time, there were some people that might have not liked it or might have thought it was maybe a little... Um, just not for them. Um, you I know, think it, it can be kind of showy. It was considered, like, esoteric as yeah, music. Yeah, totally. That it was, and kind uh, of still is, sometimes. Maybe. <laughs> 
yeah, sometimes jazz is is put in that same box where it's more about the the almost athletic spectacle of the performers. But I think, you know, music is so subjective and it's really in the eye of the beholder. I think one yeah. of the reasons that it was And this so list useful, is subjective too, isn't it, Will? This playlist. I mean, some people might have a, a totally different playlist of, of prog VGM. Right. And one of the reasons I think it was so useful in video games in particular is the kinds of emotions that this genre conjures up for the player. Um, a lot of the music that we're going to be playing today comes from battle tracks, high energy boss music, or from yeah. music from action games that are highly skill-based. Yet, on the other hand of the spectrum, oftentimes music in turn-based RPG games where the actual moment-to-moment gameplay is not high energy, the music really needed to bring a level of intensity yeah. to the overall aesthetic there's actually, experience to make the player of, engaged. There's a lot of genres of video games represented here, which is interesting. We can talk about that as we go. Uh, the music is going to lead our conversation as well. So we should get into the music. So what you guys heard playing in was from Ranger X. That was a great Genesis example of Prague for sure. That's the boss theme composed by Yoshinobu Hiraiwa. Uh, let's move on. Will talked about NES Konami music. Let's let's go to some NES Konami music. This is from Super C. We're going to play Stage 1, Lightning and Grenades, and this was composed by Hidenori Meizawa. Let's rock. all-time classic this is stage one from super c super contra uh, a lot of musicians worked on uh, especially the arcade version um, but this particular track is at least credited to Hidenori maizawa but yeah a lot of other talented konami people that worked on the original version i mean what a great example to talk about prog and also you know 8-bit prog vgm i think some people when they think of Prog VGM. They're probably thinking 16-bit era, or, or definitely when you start to get real recordings, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's fun to think about 8-bit examples. So, Will, what are some of the things happening here? Like, if we take this NES band, we have drums and bass and melody and harmony. What are some things happening that, to you, is evocative of prog? Well, there's a lot happening at once, and that's maybe the most important <laughs> aspect, is the the intricacy of these interlocking lines. First of all, I think it's very clearly in a rock idiom based on the rhythm section elements, the bass and the drums, which sound fantastic for the NES, making yeah. use of the DPCM sample channel for not only the drum sounds, but also those wonderful orchestra hits, which were kind of a staple in a lot of arcade music of the time. So I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that all comes to mind first when I think of Super C, if it has that polished, arcadey feel. And so in addition to sort of the, the rhythmic elements, which are very much in a rock sense, I think why I would 
describe this as progressive rock is we have a lot of different groove and feel changes oh my gosh yeah complicated technical complicated stuff that wouldn't happen in straight up rock yeah a lot of hits a lot of you know things that uh are reminiscent of jazz you know if you hear a great jazz group you know there's going to be a lot of that happening um and so that's really really exciting to incorporate that into rock really tight syncopation where the almost the entire band is emphasizing these sort of complex nuanced rhythms in unison and great feel changes i think the other thing that's so proggy about not just this track from super c but honestly the entire contra series Mm -hmm. is this um embracing of dissonance in the harmonies and i think what's so successful to me i think super c is the best soundtrack in the entire uh contra series because to agree it embraces these progressive elements these kinds of dissonances that it it, again what's so great super c is the perfect spiritual successor to the original contra stylistically but i think it achieves an even higher degree of um, maybe some like accessibility. It's almost there's aspects of this like when you get into that chorus, then yeah, dun 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 dun. Well, it kind of reminds you almost of like film a music. pop chorus, a of, pop or yeah, film music. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, heroic rousing. and it's catchy. And what I love about Super C is its ability to stay. It's almost more progressive and more technically showy than the original Contra. Yet I think the melodies are even stronger. It yeah, kind I of agree. exceeds on all. There's fronts. more meat. More meat to the, the bone, another. For sure. If if you're interested in more music like this, I mean, I I definitely just recommend exploring more obscure Konami titles. But also, uh, you know, the original Contra, the original Contra and Super C are beloved, but also Contra Force. So I good. feel like that soundtrack doesn't get as yeah. much love. Didn't make anything, the cut today, that's, but that's more progressive than. Um, yeah, this was tough. We could have like five volumes of this, and it would still be killer. All right, let's move on to the Super Nintendo. I would say, you know, maybe the system that some people first think of, and that's fair. Let's play a track from Final Fantasy V. Uematsu was a composer that was time and time again influenced by some of his favorite prog bands. Let's take a listen to an example of this um, from this composer. It's Battle with Gilgamesh, again from Final Fantasy V. You guys listening to Battle with Gilgamesh, it's so badass. Uh, there's a lot of really influential prog bands, particularly of the 70s. One that I do want to call out today, and we can call it a couple uh, maybe, but is Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I know that's a band that is very influential for Koji Kondo, and I believe also for Uematsu. If you listen to their music, 
um, and then listen to something like this, you can hear that influence. They were one of the few prog bands that really consciously incorporated classical music into their composition. Um, there was a lot of bands that it kind of came in through the ether and maybe from other prog bands, um, but they were very specific and conscious about that. Um, so yeah, I thought it was good to give them a shout out. Will, let's talk about what's happening in this track. What are you hearing? Maybe talk about the instrumentation in this one. Yeah, I think uh, one aspect of progressive rock that we're going to discuss a lot today is guitar-centric music. And whether it's on the NES or whether it's you know actual recorded electric guitars, there's a particular idiomatic nature to how playing music on the guitar, whether it's you know two lead guitarists like playing harmonized lines or whether it's one player doing something shredding, that's a big sound. Here we get another mm-hmm. staple of progressive rock, which is really intricate virtual classic rock organ playing if you imagine lots of organ you know, today. playing like a hammond b3 organ a lot of progressive rock groups use that organ in a distinct sound that borrows a lot from the blues and some of those really striking dissonant chord stabs that we hear it's that sort of bluesy sharp yeah nine. and well you know what's fun is Later in our playlist, near the end of our playlist, it's going to be a real treat because before that, we're going to get plenty of examples of this synthesized rock organ thing. But we're finally going to get a real recorded rock organ that it it, honestly, that track, when we get to that, it feels like it's something that could have existed in the 70s heyday of Prague. So I'm excited for that. It's it's interesting when on our Koji Kondo episode that we did this year during Nintendo month, we talked about the influence of progressive rock on Koji Kondo. And I did a whole segment on the use of chordal harmony. A lot of these things kind of go hand in hand because a big part of the kind of harmonic vocabulary of progressive rock, I would say is rather than than conventional triadic harmony music based you know in thirds a tertian kind of structures major minor there's a lot of music with chord constructions of stacked fourths and fifths what we mm-hmm. call quartal and quintal harmony and i think it's a more audacious sometimes it, it leads to these certain dissonances the tritone being one of them there's just that a strength a lot of to rock musicians well. would lean into but it's it's another thing that made this genre I think for casual listeners feel very esoteric, but again, games were almost the perfect vehicle for it because unlike film music, where sometimes the underscore needs to be subdued in a background element in games, the music needs to be more of like a foreground element and it's motivating and inspiring the player in this kind of intricate, complex, high energy music, I think is very motivating physically to your body. It it makes you feel like you're in this great conflict. Well, this is a great, more modern example. And so we're going to be going back and forth, you know, different generations of video games here. Let's play a track from Knights of Azure. This is called Edge of Apocalypse. And we're definitely going to hear some classical influences in this one, maybe even some prog metal, um, you know, flirting with that <laughs> label here. This is composed by Kazuki Yanagawa and Daisuke Achiwa. Here we go.
God, I love this track so much. <laughs> this was, I think, one of our tracks of the week on our episode on the score. Knights of Azure, it's Edge of Apocalypse by Yanagawa in Achiwa. So much happening in this one. We'll mention in a previous track, there's a lot going on at the same time. Yeah. Production and instrument-wise, too. I mean, it's actually crazy how many different instruments they jam-packed into this track. They're throwing everything, you know, but the kitchen sink here. You know, we have piano, we have harpsichord, we have all kinds of guitars and synths and drums and bass and a lot, lot more. Uh, Yeah, let's talk a little bit about... This is kind of a different direction of Prague. I mean, I think, you know, in a couple tracks actually from now, or maybe a little more than that, we're going to have maybe the softer side of Prague. When I think of some early Prague bands, I think of a lot of folk uh, and kind of medieval Gaelic influence. Right. Maybe even you hear acoustic guitars, right? Um, This is the opposite side of the spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, I think that what's difficult about talking about a genre of music is that I think for most artists, for most songwriters, composers, bands, they really hate being put in a box stylistically. And prog bands hate and that think, too. <laughs> especially prog bands, because the whole idea of being progressive is you're pushing boundaries, exploring new territory. So I think that often when people try to put really firm stylistic barriers on a genre, it's a mistake because you know, no two pieces of music are exactly alike. And even within one group, for instance, a lot of the aspects we were just talking about with that Final Fantasy track, very few of those are evident in this track. This track is built on triadic harmony. This is a very classical structure harmonically. We have, yeah, I mean, with this track, what it's about, it's very well, let me know if you agree. It's about incorporating those broken classical influences into rock slash metal and combining it all together. That's, that's what this is, and that is reminiscent of some prog bands, you know, especially in the 70s. Um, they, they would do that. Right. So. I think that there it goes beyond prog, though. This influence of classical music and these kinds of chord progressions and, you know, guitar shredding lines harmonized in thirds. That, that's a big part of the influence of game music, but it's beyond progressive rock to just all forms of rock, even pop rock mm-hmm. and a lot of... it. it it transcends genres. I think that often things that were experimental in bands in the early seventies would become sort of mainstays of more pop, um, less intense, less esoteric groups in subsequent decades. And I think with game music now, I, I feel like when people hear this sound, it, it doesn't necessarily sound progressive to them. It sounds high energy. It's almost like yeah. pop metal. Um, and I think this is why genres are a little bit fluid and it's it's hard to pin things well, down. Well, they're exactly. also subjective. Like someone may disagree with this inclusion and say, oh, I don't know if this is prog as much. So uh, yeah, so it's subjective. Let's move back to the Genesis and we're going to go to a composer, Motoi Sakuraba, uh, who, just spoiler alert, is on our playlist twice today. So that's always an honor. There's a few <laughs> composers that made our playlist multiple times today. This is a Genesis track of his. It's from El Viento. Let's take a listen to Stage 1, New York City.
You guys listening to stage one from El Viento. This is by Sakuraba. It's on the Genesis. And I thought this was a good example of Prague. I mean, you have a lot of, you know, specific hits and and switches and the rhythmic groove that the whole band is doing together. Um, Overall, I do think there's kind of like a folky Gaelic, you know, medieval quality to this composition. Obviously, it's fused with rock. Uh, it's very energetic. The clap samples are, are pretty hilarious. Yeah, I thought this was this was an interesting choice for 16-bit era Prague. Yeah, and again, it's like why we called this Prague and not progressive rock. I think there are so many things stylistically about this that would not make me think of progressive rock at all. If anything, mm. it's like 80s power ballad type chords. The thing that's proggy about this is that you know the 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 music starts off with this sort of predictable chord progression a very it's not very audacious you a repeated baseline it's kind of simple musically where mm-hmm. it gets proggy is that there's a specific point in the melody where you're almost expecting or anticipating this sort of resolution and Sakuraba very cleverly subverts those expectations. And now suddenly we're catapulted into this new place harmonically. And then the whole second half of the loop is much more experimental. Where It's much more right. rhythmic. It's very unexpected. And that to me is the essence of Prague. It's the spirit of experimentation, surprise, and, and technical precision. Yeah. And in a piece like this, it's less about the underlying... It's not like if you hear five seconds of it, you'd be like, that's prog rock. It really isn't the case here. It's more the spirit of breaking and bending the rules that can really happen in any genre because there's progressive jazz, there's progressive folk, there's progressive country, bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Like there's lots of forms of music that bend the rules. Yeah. In this and some of my way. favorite examples, actually, um, on our episode, I think a track that's coming two places from now is one of those where there are parts of the song and maybe parts of the instrumentation where, okay, straight up prog, but then where it goes is actually not where a prog band, especially in the seventies would go. And that's, I like those examples too. Cause again, it's the video game version of prog. Right. So we're going to go back to the NES and we're going to go back to Konami and we're going to go to a game snakes revenge. And will brought this pick in it's metal gear missile launch. This is composed by Tsutomu Ogura. Let's check it out. of that loop folks that is the proggiest thing ever (laughs) snakes revenge it's metal gear missile launch by ogura and i love this choice um there's a lot of moments in this that really remind me like i can hear the band playing this um overall i do think there's that heroism uh that that hopeful exciting quality that the music has but yeah there's these moments these really tense moments where it feels like we're definitely in some sort of battle. There's there's high stakes here. Um, yeah, Will, what is this? When you think about the outside genre of Prague, what are some things in this track that remind you of that? 
Well, I'd say the number one thing is the use of odd meters, where you f- that mm-hmm. feeling of sort of skipping a beat before going to the next chord change. Um, and that opening section features that sort of quality. And sometimes when we talk about odd meters, it's not even necessarily the underlying meter itself. It's almost like the way of dividing the beat in an unnatural mm-hmm. way. So you can have something that's sort of technically in 4-4, four, four, but if you think of it in like 8-8, eight, eight, you can have these asymmetrical groupings of underlying rhythms. And that feeling that sort of keeps you on your toes happens here. Uh, what I love so much about this example, in many ways it's kind of like that Knights of Azure track that we played where um, there's there's something poppy and classical about mm-hmm. this. When you listen to this, you can tell this is the same sound team that worked on something like Castlevania well, Will, 3. Will, you know what's funny? I don't know if you knew this, but one of the early terms before culturally we all called it progressive rock, one of the early terms that some people, um, so this music, you know, I would say originated in the UK and the US, but some people called it initially progressive pop. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's an aspect of this that um, falls maybe more into the progressive pop side of things because it's, it does there's a catchiness particularly when we get to the that sort of chorus that feels just like an iconic vgm japanese pop chorus with these harmonized lines these syncopated rhythms mm-hmm. really catchy melodies what i love about a track like this is it does all of it right it's like the initial groove is highly technical there is an embracing of a certain kind of dissonance it feels classically rooted but a lot of these shifting unsettling tonalities high yeah. energy intricate lines and then we have this sort of poppy chorus b section and then right before the turnaround we track get this is so really good, progressive um section rhythmically that subverts our expectations but throughout all of it we have those great dpcm tom fills I, am i right well i don't think we've ever played this on the pod and that's a travesty so finally yeah i mean i think it. it's a follow-up to this episode I would absolutely like to do is to focus exclusively on Konami NES games yeah. that utilize this particular yeah, kind of progressive rock. And Prog two. <laughs> only focus on Konami NES games and only focus on music Even that would like be this. hard to whittle, man. Okay, yeah. so I was talking about this a few minutes ago. This is a track from East Origin. It's called Oboro, composed, composed by the Falcom sound team JDK. Uh, Ease Origin, I think, came out for um, a few different systems. Um, And this track, the intro, the first few seconds are the most proggy thing we've heard probably so far of the day. Incredibly textbook prog. But then where it goes is surprising. And it's it's the video game version because I, I can't imagine any outside prog track doing this uh so it's it's kind of interesting to see how many different things uh and how many different directions maybe this track goes in uh throws you for a loop for sure let's take a listen to oboro from east origin
absolutely phenomenal. This is Oboro from Ease Origin by Falcom Sound Team JDK. So far, gotta say it's my favorite of the day. And it's so proggy. I think the heart that this track captures, the spirit, is absolutely of prog. I mean, it's incredibly technical. Um, you know, the fact that you're incorporating instrument like the violin, this is all sequenced here, um, with a rock group and synths and stuff like that, some classical influence, some folk influence. You got the organ. It's it's rocking. It's surprising. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like a lot of this music we're playing, harmonically, there are aspects of this music that we do hear in more popular forms of rock, pop music, and just in game music in general. This track uses the Dorian mode rather than the conventional minor scale. And that I think there's a lot of progressive rock perhaps that pioneered that sort of modal approach to the harmonies. And I think we've talked about this before. There's sort of a dual use and dual utility in evoking some medieval modal sounds because on the one hand, you know, this is a game that's like high fantasy and making you, uh, it's trying to take you to that world yet. Yeah. Thankfully in our more contemporary, at least contemporary of the time, popular music and things like progressive rock that evoke some of those same medieval cliches, you can sort of kill two birds with one stone. You can make something that feels medieval, but also something that's utilizing a very specific subgenre of sort of high intensity hard rock. And I think that's why so many games evoked a rather esoteric genre. And I think it yeah. wasn't just for the the underlying um, mood purely of the high energy, but I mm-hmm. think it's a lot of the medieval folk connotations that go along with it that just so happen to coincide with a lot of, um, you know, video game iconography. So... It's time, it's overdue actually, that we play a Fallen Brothers track, and we have three of them today, and that's not a surprise to anybody, right? Let's play something from Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge Super Nintendo version. This is Cyclops, and this track, which is reminiscent of Progman's, is over seven minutes long, um, and it has so many sections it really it feels like every 20 seconds tim and jeff are just you know okay let's try something else like basically turning it into a new piece uh so we're gonna fade in we're gonna do a fade in version of this to get to a little bit of a later section but wow this is a wild track cyclops by the fallen brothers here we go
Wow, you guys are listening to a little bit of Cyclops, Spider-Man and the X-Men, Arcade's Revenge, by the Fallen Brothers. Wow, uh, we're kind of reaching a new level here, uh, a new type of prog influence, maybe I'll say that. Wow, there's there's so much here that there's there's actually parts of this that remind me of early Yes, Yes is a prog rock band. Um, and I believe in our interview with Tim, I think that was one of the bands that he mentioned too is is being an influence. Um, this is wild, though. I mean, it's a crazy piece of music. Even if we weren't talking today about this, you know, particular tradition in music, this is a cool, crazy one, dude. Well, the Fallen Brothers tracks, I'd say, are the most authentic to the textbook progressive yeah, and rock. And it's not sound. even close. Um, and I think that that is something that's really unique about them. Not only the ability to write fluently in that style, but the ability to communicate that in this electronic chip music context. And it's something that they've done on a variety of systems, Commodore, Amiga, NES, Super Nintendo, Arcade. It's it's really quite an achievement of theirs. I think the, the reason why so much video game music tends to blend a light dusting of progressive rock influence with other more poppy sensibilities both has to do with some of the limitations of the early hardware which we've talked a Mm -hmm. lot about before which i think tends to encourage people towards a more melodic catchy less experimental direction just because it's hard to communicate with um you know very primitive synthesizers that you almost you just want a really salient melody that shines above everything but their ability to technically on the snes like you can't touch them like i love their music on the snes and yeah will we go back to the system with them let's let's see let's see okay yeah and i think this is this is the most experimental um track that we've heard so far today and that's a big part of you know all absolutely progressive music we're going to go back to the NES. We're going to go back to a composer that I thought of when we were going to do this episode, Junko Tamiya. This is from Street Fighter 2010, and this is definitely showing a different side, maybe a slightly lighter side of Prague, um, progressive rock. This is Skimmer. Here we go. here this is skimmer from street fighter 2010 by the wonderful junko tamiya and this reminds me of a lot of early 70s prog bands now one thing that you have to remember is a lot of that music is not only going to have electric distorted guitars that's maybe you know at this point what some of us initially think of right um but a lot of those bands you know had at least pieces of music and sections of music with acoustic guitars and flutes and you know, surprising instruments that you wouldn't typically hear um, in other forms of straight-up rock. So yeah, that's kind of what this is getting at. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good thing to um, 
recall and to relate this to, I think, you know, it would be easy, I think, for some of us to compare this to maybe like some of the Konami music that we've heard and say, oh man, this is so lacking in energy and intensity. But what makes this progressive, again, is the virtuosity of the lines, the surprising modal nature yes, of absolutely. the harmonies. Um, and the yeah, the particular kind of moods that it's something that I think Junko Tamiya is a really unique composer because her music is layered with these sort of mood, moods and I think the thing about it is the music is often simple so it's it's simple in the sense that it's not crazy high energy doing a million things meter changes and everything yet it's I would never describe it as poppy. Um, because there's so many aspects of her music that have this sort of unconventional sense of harmony, something a little bit bittersweet, a little bit sour in the yeah. mood. And I think uh, what what it, there's stylistically, you know, I think if you'd say the difference between the typical Capcom sound and the typical Konami sound, I think Konami was much more progressive, much more intense, focused on the guitar centric side of rock music where i think capcom tended to be a little bit more poppy but also this side you know junko tamiya shares this in common with you know harumi fujita if you think about like the Mega Man 3 soundtrack some of those almost experimental colors harmonically that's yeah. a different side of progressive rock it's not just about rock again this is why well, we're Well I actually it prog. Am, am glad that we're you know showing a bunch of different sides of progressive rock today i think that's that's cool uh this i think was both of our first <laughs> thought like uh, instinctual pick it is yoshi's island bowser by Koji Kondo, yeah, you gotta have this on a, any Prague VGM episode. It would be illegal not to. Let's rock out. One of the one of the more rocking tracks of the day, Bowser from Yoshi's Island. 
Koji is having a field day with this one. It it definitely, I think, in 95, threw a lot of people for a loop. I mean, who who would have expected this sound, especially from this composer in this series? It, it There had been nothing else quite, quite like this before. I mean, with these full-fledged solos, like multiple shredding solos on guitar and organ, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I love, one of my favorite, you know, implementation things he does here is evoking the sound of a feedback, of feedback, you know, when you, when your distorted guitar, you know, you get close to the amp, that kind of feedback sound. It's so cool that he's getting that with Super Nintendo samples. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we love so much about Koji Kondo is how, far he leans into the different genres this is something that he established in the very first mario game and uh yoshi's island in my opinion is sort of the pinnacle of of this series um in in terms of that concept of the music going and stretching out as far as it possibly can into all these different genres of music and what's so genius about it is he evokes the moods of the game not just through the melodies and harmonies but by embracing sort of genre expectations and cliches to such a degree that i don't Mm. think any other series quite has i mean something like final fantasy perhaps delves into that but still i would say often when uematsu is evoking really specific pastiche genres there's sort of that like in-game ironic context or it's almost Mm -hmm. meant to be like source music where with mario it's so earnestly will go from one genre to a completely different genre just through the nature of you know this is an athletic and this is the boss music and yeah and if you look at yoshi's um it's pretty insane the eclecticism and how what you were saying how far he goes i mean being authentic to dixieland being authentic to Prague 70s rock it's such a treat that that yeah, you I mean, get so much in one soundtrack outside of the fallen tracks this is definitely the most progressive yeah. rock this is the most authentic there's, and there's one that there's gives it a run for a its melody. money later <laughs> There, yeah, there's there one later on. I'm I mean, there's for a him. sort of melodic motif at the beginning, bum, 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 dun, dun, which he's mm-hmm. so good at making iconic. You it's know, mostly just soloing, yeah. Motifs. Yeah, and it's these great composed and well implemented solos. I love when the organ comes in, and some of these colors, you know, at this point we've heard in the game. I think the mini boss and the big mm-hmm. boss themes use these instrumental colors in but a you more finally get tuneful to way but this is just complete shredding which was a unique choice at the time i mean i'd say like the boss music from you know the original super mario world definitely delves into progressive rock but here not quite as hard you know, as this in terms yeah. of the instrumentation i think he's really nailing it in a in a kind of way where i think compositionally it was happening in the first mario world but the sounds were more abstract will mentioned it a few minutes ago and this is another example where if we had a prog part two or part three we could have a whole episode on uematsu prog music he he loves this genre and in his final fantasy series he incorporated it so much yes in battle themes and in boss themes but also in other tracks too um we're gonna play a track from Final Fantasy VII, and for me, it was a, a really early choice when I thought of this episode. This is Still More Fighting by Uematsu. Here we go. Still more fighting. 
Love, love, love this track. It's a classic. Still More Fighting from Final Fantasy VII. Probably my favorite piece of music in the score. This is by Uematsu. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. Will, do you agree with me on this? This track really reminds me of the song Hocus Pocus by Focus. You know, it's used in that iconic scene in Baby Driver. Um, One of my favorite, like, 70s prog rock songs of all time. Uh, There's elements of that that could have maybe been influential to him on this track that that's something that i definitely have heard for a while do you hear that yeah i mean absolutely i, I think this is i think this is sort of that nice sweet spot of it still feels like video game music but the progressive rock influence is very clear um yeah. but this isn't necessarily as shredding and soloistic as like the track right. you just heard. Yeah, and it's not it's, it's as a different much shade. of a specific pastiche as <laughs> a like lot of different shades the today. And, stuff. and that's what I find interesting. Like if someone else were to put together a prog playlist, they might be more um, specific and limiting and not include things. Because Will did make a good point at the top where it's like whether you call something prog or whether you call it progressive rock, sometimes that can be a different thing can it it's a different connotation for sure i mean i think not to get into like linguistics or the semantic differences <laughs> please between, yeah let's know, not shortening a word or using the full thing but i think you know when you say progressive rock it's a very specific box you're putting something in where yeah. prog especially that's why we just called this like prog exclamation mark it's almost a state of mind it's a yeah it's absolutely. an approach to music making and it's it's specifically not about boxing things into genres speaking of that let's go to a slightly different maybe subgenre. i would call this progressive metal prog metal for sure Uh, We're going to move to the Guilty Gear series. This is from Guilty Gear XX. This is, of course, composed by Daisuke Ishiwatari. Let's play Holy Orders. listening to holy orders um this is from guilty gear xx by ishiwatari and yes when i think of progressive metal uh similar to progressive rock i'm thinking of that combination um you're combining maybe quasi classical quasi folk elements into metal into heavy metal and and that's definitely what you get in this piece and it's different from just straight up metal isn't it it's very exciting um and the energy level is similar 
Um, but there's definitely some other genres that are being tapped into here. What a great piece of music, though. It, it feels like a classic now. You know, we did that Guilty Gear episode all those years ago. And I think before that episode, both Will and myself uh, had a blind spot uh, to the music of, of this series. And so now, after you know all these years, this feels like an all-time banger. Yeah, and I mean, I think the the classical side of rock and progressive rock is a really particular thing, and I, this is very much what the Castlevania series was alluding to in the original game, and I'd say the NES trilogy in particular really evoked this sort of you know that the use of the pivot tone, you know, where you have that common tone that with one moving line it's something that's very pianistic it's used and makes you think of harpsichords and organs but it's also uh very intuitive and idiomatic on a guitar and i think that much like the use of like modal music is is this great dual purposing of a particular musical device Mm -hmm. that we have multiple associations with at the same time and so what's great about i think the music to the guilty gear series is it's it's doing things that are idiomatic to the genre of metal even outside of like progressive or classically influenced metal it's just what that instrument was designed to do yeah yet at the same time they're leaning into its shared associations to much older forms of like yeah, the fact that it music. starts off with harpsichord i mean that, that definitely lets you into the state of mind of ishiwatari for sure um so i'm excited about this this is a, a soundtrack that i thought of pretty early on um when we we're going to do this episode it's alicia dragoon it's a very progressive rock inspired soundtrack and i would say maybe the softer side of progressive rock so it's reminiscent of bands like yes some of their early stuff um but yeah it's just a little bit softer so again i think coming after that guilty gear track it's it's a really nice different contrasting shade here uh this was composed by nobuyuki aoshima as well as mamoru ishimoda let's take a listen to stage two from alicia dragoon You guys are listening to Stage 2 from Alicia Dragoon. And I gotta say, Stage 1 and 2 from the score are a back-to-back group of bangers. I love both of these themes so much. Composed by Aoshima and Ishimoda. And so much folk and classical influence on this one. Um, Just a really great piece of music, though. Yeah, very strong. Yeah, I think this is another example of sort of like the Junko Tamiya 
piece of music where yep. it's it's less about virtuosity and more about the connotations that a lot of early progressive rock was borrowing from medieval folk kind of Absolutely. European folk tradition. So much of that. Um, both the meter, this sort of six eight dancey type of thing, but the the use of the Dorian scale, and also there's the there's polyphony in this, the mm-hmm. idea of like one melody moving independently from another one in the way they interact. It's light polyphony, you know, it's not yeah. like baroque counterpoint or something, but it's definitely folky. It's how a rock band in the seventies would do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, exactly. Um, okay, so we're gonna go back to the incredibly authentic, amazing team of Tim and Jeff Fallen. And yes, we're going back to the Super Nintendo because we had to play a track from Plock today on our Prague episode. It would be a sin not to. Gosh, this is just one of the best pieces of EGM of all time. Without a doubt, let's rock out and groove out to Beach. Guys, listening to Beach from Plock, and I believe this composition um, was was a Tim composition. I remember in an interview he was definitely referring it to as um, you know one of mine. Um, so I think in scores where they worked together, uh, I think Tim still kind of led led the charge. Um, wow, yeah, I mean this track, it's so authentic to Prague, really in the spirit, right? Where there's, it's almost like a a multi-movement suite or something where their imagination knows no bounds. And that's one of the exciting thing I 
things I think for musicians of let's say the early 70s and onward with this genre right is hey we can now incorporate all this other stuff and have all these fun meters and these fun changes and things that we couldn't really do when we were trying to make a song that would fit in rock radio right Um, and so that was exciting to I think people back then and clearly that spirit excited Tim and Jeff Fallon when they were making original music in the 90s exactly and that again is why we didn't call this progressive rock because this <laughs> I, I don't even know that you could call this track rock i mean other than no, the fact that there's no, a distorted just guitar experimental prog fusion ex- yeah mm. exactly prog fusion is is how you would describe yeah, this and, the and, use and of we'll, electronic sounds but the fact we haven't that, talked about it today but we do have to say that there's a strong linkage between fusion and prog i mean sometimes mm-hmm. the line gets blurred this is a track that could be on our fusion episode. It's a track that could be on a prog episode, right? It's it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I think in something that we've always sung the praises of this is just how darn impressive this sounds for the Super Nintendo. The By far the most impressive tone Super they Nintendo get. track is fantastic and a lot of creative ingenuity not just as far as the sampling but how to create the sounds of different guitar pedals also you know adjusting pitch there's a lot of synths like that you know that that one synth instrument uh where it has the harmonies baked in first of all that's a really ingenious thing because that's one sample and so you don't have to have three samples playing that that pad chord but Um, it's also idiomatic because a a lot of synthesized bass music of the period had actual patches like that where stacks of like quintal fifths are on one single note cool man and so that's that's a particular it's not just a cheat technically for writing on you know the super nintendo but it actually puts it in a particular kind of genre and it gives a really unique quality to the harmonies the that opening vamp that dunk 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 it's in sort of a very fast seven eight and i think they're both tim and jeff are so fluent at writing in these odd meters and creating memorable lines that just feel so natural we should say that seven, in my opinion, seven is the most common meter for prog. I mean, there's so many classic 70s prog tunes that are in seven or have sections in seven. So it is nice right. that we had some representation of that today. And I think one of the reasons for that is to post to other meters like five or you know nine or 11 or 15 or other kind of odd meters is that majority of the music we listen to, we feel in four um, it's very symmetrical. It's a very kind of expected sort of meter. And seven is almost like you lop off one of those eighth notes and then you have seven. So it's, I think it Keeps very you primally subverts our expectations and instincts in a way that something like five, maybe if it's a slow five, you feel like it's an extra entire quarter note on top of the four. Or if you think about it in like three Feels or six, extra eight, where instead you're of dropping a beat. So this is another um, pick that Will brought in. It's such a good call here. From TMNT, The Hyperstone Heist. This is Final Shell Shock. What a cool soundtrack. Would you agree, Will? I would say it's a very underrated Genesis soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, I just love the Ninja Turtle um, music, whether it's in the arcades or the NES stuff. This is another example of just a great Konami title. Yeah, this is composed by Masahiro Ikariko. Let's take a listen to Final Shell Shock.
final shell shock. Prague with an exclamation point. Yep, that's exactly what this is. Oh, I love it so much. It's composed by Ico Rico. The Hyperstone Heist, gosh, it's kind of fallen levels of implementation wizardry here. Um, like, this is one of the best Genesis scores. I mean, sounding, sounding Genesis score. I mean, man, the drum samples are, are so good. It really rivals, you know, some arcade scores of the time, which is so impressive because that DIC channel is way more compressed than a lot of the arcade equivalents. Love the FM instruments. you got to have the orchestra hit <laughs> in a DMNT game. Okay, we'll talk a little bit. Yeah, so it's fun. You know, the charming instruments are fun and stuff, but, like, talk a little bit about what you're hearing this Genesis band doing that is prog. Well, I think something about this, you know, we talked about odd meters, but one of the things I mentioned really early on was um, asymmetrical ways of dividing the bar. And that's what we have here because it's just a straight rock backbeat in four. Mm -hmm. Yet the, the way that we're hearing the lines are, it's almost in eight rather than four because it's dividing the measure asymmetrically. So that's a, I think it's a great way to balance predictability with something surprising. And a lot of rock music is built on that kind of syncopation. And I think another technique that you hear a lot in, in music is where you hear the syncopated element without any sort of backbeat. And it mm -hmm. sounds very odd, almost like meters are changing. And then you introduce the backbeat and it yeah, gives a great some technique. sort of structure in stability. Uh, this track does doesn't do that necessarily, but you could imagine a version where you're hearing bum 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 bum. I mean, Koji does something similar if you think about bum 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 bum. Except there, you know, the entire we're not hearing a backbeat on that particular part. That's where everyone's almost playing those rhythms in yeah, unison. I think for it's me, still in four, but it's very you, syncopated. You gave a couple different choices um, to me from the score when I heard this. What I was so impressed by, there's a few things that feel proggy, of course, in, in the track, but the drum part, you know, and it's obviously, you know, trying to be inspired by a real drummer, and it really feels that way. It reminds me a lot of a 70s prog rock drummer. It really, really does. And I think that's so impressive uh, to be able to do that on the Genesis. Part of it is with the really good samples. Uh, he got them to sound quite good. But the part itself, just really exciting, exp expressive. Okay, so we talked about this earlier, and it's so exciting now to kind of come full circle. And we're going to have a real recording uh, piece of music that incorporates a lot of the things that we've heard today, and particularly that, that classic rock organ, right? So we're going to hear that here. It's going to take a little bit to get into that. Uh, and so what's cool about this piece of music is you start off maybe the softer side of progressive rock, but then eventually, yes, we're going to get a little bit harder. This is composed by Motoy Sakuraba. He's back, and it's Dark Pit Battle from Kid Icarus Uprising for the 3DS. Here we go.
the best. <laughs> this is Dark Pit Battle from Kid Icarus Uprising by Sakuraba. And yeah, once the band fully comes in, uh, it really feels like you're listening to an Emerson, Lake, and Palmer track. I mean, it's pretty insane. Um, and I love that that tradition took a long time, I think, for it to become quasi-popular again. And thanks to video games, really. And thanks to the composers that kind of grew up with that music amongst other genres um, and had the idea to incorporate it, you know? And so what a great choice. I mean, this works great for a video game, but it is kind of honoring this kind of lost music. I think not a lot of people were listening to 70s prog, right? <laughs> um, you know, in the 2000s. I mean, maybe now, you know, there's this overall sense of celebrating different decades more. But um, yeah, it's just it's just really cool that this music lives on. What a killer track. Absolutely. Um, and as far as the instrumentation, having virtuosic electric guitar, talking about dual connotations. I mean, at first, there's there's definitely a Spanish or like Latin American flavor to the harmonies and the nature of this like nylon string classical guitar music that's that's really strong yeah i love it's only acoustic yeah there's no i just love that because again and and that's something that some people don't think of this sound is kind of what i was talking about yeah it gets a little bit loud you have the drums and the the bass and the organ and stuff but yeah it's it's that acoustic guitar really brings it it feels more earthy and it feels maybe more slightly medieval yeah Yeah, it's just great ties it into classical music because yep there was a lot of classical guitar music that's really precise and melodic and, you know, one note at a time rather than, you know, big full chordal. Like I think the way we think of rock music, you know, in more contemporary settings is much more of like an accompaniment element yeah. or obviously, you know, lead guitar shredding and soloing is a, a thing in the electric realm all its own. Um, but I think, our sort of expectations have flipped a little bit. I think. I think so. Uh, with classical guitar, it's almost in so much of it is about melodic scalar lines, much more than like harmonic support. Where now I think we think of guitar default as playing chords, um, and I think that's that sense is flipped. There were there are clearly exa- I mean, you know, the, one of the utilities of a string instrument like a guitar is to play chords and accompany and that obviously happened in the classical era as does virtuosic you know quasi-classical guitar playing happen now but I think what's cool about a track like this is it really subverts your expectations when the prog elements come in because there's an aspect of this that feels sort of classical yet it's syncopated like you never have those rhythms in in a classical piece and it's still sort of hey will i had a fun idea together if we ever get to do that dual show where we're sharing the stage with super guitar bros super mercado bros we should both cover this together because with those two guys on the two acoustic guitars and us oh man that could be that could be really that would be really fun okay so that's one of the most maybe quintessential strong examples of prog on our playlist and we're moving on to the next maybe (laughs) most this is such a classic choice and again it's tim and jeff fallen showing everyone how to do prog before you know most of this music that we listened to today was written this is from i think 1990 i want to say it's silver surfer on the nes and this is our last track other than our play out don't go anywhere because that's a great super nintendo choice um this is stage music one by the fallen brothers (laughs) 
just killer. You guys are listening to Stage Music 1 from Silver Surfer. This is by Tim and Jeff Fallen. This has been Prague. And I just want to quickly say that our playout is so good. It's from Secret of Mana. It's Mystic Invasion by Hiroki Kikuda. A really cool choice. And a, a, again, a different side of Prague. Very like cinematic filmic prog there so wow i didn't quite realize you know before putting this together will that there's a lot of shades to prog isn't there very much i mean we could have done there's so many different playlists we could have put together incredible playlists that don't feature any of this music that we've played today Mm -hmm. i mean i think there's some tracks on here that feel like if you're going to do a prog episode you have to include this but the problem with a genre like this is so much video game music falls under this umbrella that you, you know, yeah. you can't capture everything, but our genre is tricky. With the playlist today, is that you definitely get a sense over the you know the summation of all of this music of what we mean when we say prog. But I think part of the spirit behind it is that it isn't one particular thing. It's not mm-hmm. one kind of chord progression. It's not one particular scale. It's not one approach. It's vast. To music yeah, making. that's the whole point behind the spirit of prog right is you want to be able to do anything that your imagination can take you to right and bands like emerson lincoln palmer and yes that was definitely their approach and yeah maybe there were some drugs involved into (laughs) how they came up with some of those uh, you know early ideas but yeah that's part of the spirit of it is we don't want to be limited by a a specific genre specific you know tradition of what we're supposed to play uh and so yeah i think a sense of surprise is probably present in this playlist as well um yeah it would be fun will actually i would be totally down to do that konami nes episode whatever we end up calling it i think that would be really cool yeah i i think so much of the music by konami has this prog influence and Mm -hmm. i think other again outside of the fallens because they're this crazy outlier i don't think anyone (laughs) they are crazy better in 8-bit Uh, at executing that genre than the Konami composers. Like they really, and they had such a specific almost style book, like a particular drum sound, a particular way of utilizing the synths that hasn't even been surpassed. Like I think so much modern chip music owes a lot to the Konami. Yeah. I will say like, there's a lot of VGM bands where they have, uh, I don't even want to call it a gimmick, but like a, a specific thing where it's like, oh, we only play music from this game or this series. Um, and if you were a prog, like a really strong prog rock VGM band that only did Konami NES music, you'd be set. I mean, you could have so many sets, so much material. It would be such a well, well to draw and from. And what's interesting is I'd say, you know, Capcom, often they have some of the catchier melodies, but I think as yeah. far as arranging and overall just dynamicism as far as the soundtracks and excitement polish, it's, it's hard like to beat Konami. You can't beat Konami. Well, guys, enjoy the Secret of Mana track. That's about it. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Rock out. Peace out. Peace out.